0: solve the problem of suffering. No matter how good things get, you just can't avoid suffering. It really just makes everything seem so futile. So how can you claim to solve the problem of suffering? Well, good day everyone, Lachlan Orr here. Welcome to Bible Shots again, where we take time out of our day to consider what the Bible has to say to us. If you haven't been before, if you haven't joined us, uh, it's pretty simple format that like an espresso shot, we hope will leave us feeling energized and ready to focus into the afternoon uh, as we actually look at part of the Bible and what it has to say to us. Uh, it's a pretty simple format, like I was saying, we read part of the Bible, we hear a talk on that part of the Bible, and then we'll have time afterwards for Q&A, so if you've got uh, questions for our speaker, uh, particularly focused on what he's had to say, but you can ask other questions as well, you might like to use the Q&A function uh, in Zoom, you can send those through any time during the talk, um, but we'll engage with them in Q&A time, uh, or if you're joining us on Facebook Live, uh, pop your questions in the comments section uh, below. Not everyone who tunes into Bible Shots is a follower of Jesus. Uh, If you've never opened a Bible before, that's okay. As long as you're happy to consider what the Bible has to say, Uh, we're glad to have you joining us uh, and we work uh, to make sure that the Bible is clear and accessible uh, to anyone who's coming along, no matter how uh, little they may have opened a Bible before. And today we are joined again by Rob Martin, who's joining us from deepest, darkest, infected Melbourne. Uh, Rob, welcome to Bible Shots again. Thanks.
1: Thanks very much. It's nice to be here.
0: And you are, that's not just a uh, hyperbole, you are actually in one of the uh, hotspot suburbs. So. I do, yep, I
1: am. I live I live in one of the the hotspot suburbs and so tomorrow, tonight at midnight we're being locked down, that's right, for a whole month.
0: Yeah, how are you feeling about it all?
1: Oh, I'm feeling okay. I think my family are feeling, it's middle of the school holidays and so I think they're feeling a bit disappointed. There's some play dates and other things that we had planned and other bits and pieces that we were planning to do but uh, obviously that can't happen now and so I think there's a bit of disappointment personally I'm feeling okay uh, I tend to be I've tended to cope okay for the last three or four months and so I do have a couple of, uh, of challenging sort of uh, appointments later in the month that perhaps need moving or rejigging or something but uh, generally I think I'm generally okay but yeah my family's I have a, a bit of a struggling a little bit
0: well, you know, we will be praying for you uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, Thank you. That it all ends uh, quickly. Um, now, you're continuing and concluding today our series on Jesus versus suffering. Yeah. We're looking at the biographies of Jesus and how he responds to problems of suffering and evil. And today we're talking about the problem of futility. Um, yeah. When's a task before you actually seemed futile, Rob?
1: Well, because we several. I'm, I'm going to share a few stories and, uh, and uh, anecdotes, et cetera, in my, my talk you know, in a few moments. But I remember one time at work, I used to work in insurance many years ago, uh, actually in Sydney. And uh, I remember I'd been working on budgets for a few weeks, actually, but I'd always had this problem with my computer and this problem was uh, was recurring. My computer was doing different things. Um, anyway, I, I gave it to the IT department, to the, the help desk, so to speak. And they took it away and they couldn't figure out what to do. So they decided to rebuild the computer. Now they came back and then they had basically wiped my hard drive and wiped all of the last three weeks work that I'd done. So that was a fairly frustrating day. And it made me feel like, wow, that work really was kind of um, futile. I had to obviously redo it, but there was a great futility, that particular point in our work. I'm not sure if that's how you felt in your work at different points. So those who are Listening, if there's a seems like almost a futility about it, but that was certainly probably one of my uh, most challenging work days that I've ever had.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound like a fun one, but it does sound like a fairly common experience, I think. I
1: think so, yes.
0: At some point. Uh, Now, we're going to look at part of the Bible today. Uh, We're looking at uh, Matthew, and the story that we're looking at, uh, we're focusing on, is from Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to share uh, my screen with the Bible passage on it. Uh, We're focusing on Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 46, if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible at home, but um, otherwise, it's up on the screen now. Matthew chapter 5, 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me something to eat i was thirsty and you gave me something to drink i was a stranger and you invited me in i needed clothes and you clothed me i was ill and you look after me i was in prison and you came to visit me then the righteous will answer him lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The King will reply, truly I tell you whatever you did for the least of these, these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life thank you rob
1: the phone rang at 5 a.m and i was immediately concerned because our home phone didn't normally ring let alone in the middle of the night and my wife and i checked the number as the phone kept ringing and my wife thought it was a prank call but i saw the number starting with 0011 So it looked like an international call. Surely a a telemarketer wouldn't be calling at 5am. So we went back to bed, but I was a little, I was a little uneasy. What was the phone call about? My parents were overseas on a holiday. Was everything okay? Then around an hour or so later, the phone rang again and it was my sister. And now I really was concerned. What what had happened? She rang to tell me that my mum had died suddenly at an airport in Helsinki. My mum and dad had been on holidays in Europe and she'd been a bit unwell for a week or so in London and then flown to Helsinki to start a tour. She'd gotten off the plane but then couldn't walk anymore and she died there of a double pulmonary embolism. She was 63. So, what should I make of my mum's death? I remember a few months later at the interment where we put my mum's ashes into the ground and I reflected as my mum, whom only a couple of months earlier I'd been sending text messages to uh talking to whom i ate dinner with was now being poured into a container and buried into the ground where had she gone where was she now according to our atheistic culture we came from dust and we will return to dust and that's it my mom is now in a box of ashes in a cemetery in the blue mountains west of sydney in our culture, many claim that we just cease to exist. We didn't know anything before our birth, and we won't know anything after our death. We will just cease to be. Others claim that we become stardust. Uh, physicist Lawrence Krauss says that every atom in our bodies came from a star that exploded, and the atoms in your left hand are probably different from the atoms from a, from a different star than your right hand. You are all stardust, and so he says quite playfully, "So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could all be here today." Another atheist I spoke to once said that we, once we die, we'll all become stardust again. I heard of another woman who has developed a mushroom burial suit, so that when she dies, her body will decompose and be eaten by mushrooms. So these mushrooms will decompose bodies, clean the toxins and deliver nutrients to plant roots, leaving clean compost. And she says, accepting death means accepting that we are physical beings who are intimately connected to the environment. As the research on environmental toxins confirms, as the saying goes, we came from dust. And we will return to dust so these views really are all the same when we die we just become dust my mum has become dust stardust perhaps food for mushrooms perhaps but dust all the same some find this inspirational but i find it utterly meaningless futile a mushroom doesn't care a star doesn't care the universe doesn't care all my achievements relationships family and friends all gone. Death renders life ultimately futile and meaningless. You might remember if you were here last week, Matthew O'Reilly, the paramedic who I shared about last week, and he says that there were three patterns that people have when they die. There are three things that they long for the need for forgiveness, the need for remembrance, to feel that they were would be living on in some ways, and the need for meaning, to know that their life had meaning and was not wasted on meaningless tasks. Yet if we become dust is that's all we become and life really does become futile these desires are misplaced we will not be remembered we won't have any meaning the world becomes a meaningless chaos the old testament wisdom book of ecclesiastes makes it clear that death renders all our achievements relationships reputations as vanity as chasing after the wind here today and gone tomorrow we want to be remembered But the reality for pretty much all of us in 100 maybe even 50 years after our death will be forgotten our world has no answer to death our culture ignores it suppresses it in fact after i told someone at my kid's school that my mum had died his response was keep laughing so what are we to make of the seeming futility of death how are we to live Well, the bible offers a surprising solution to the enigma of death something to give life and death meaning it's judgment judgment gives life and death meaning because if there's judgment after death then life no longer becomes futile and meaningless suddenly life becomes completely full of meaning now this theme of judgment is found throughout the gospel of matthew we looked at matthew 13 a few weeks back where jesus tells a parable of wheat and weeds and jesus says at the end of the age there will be a judgment all that which causes sin and evil will be rooted out at that point suffering will end the final judgment indicates the end of suffering in this world so whilst uh, it makes life meaningful judgment also implies the beginning of a different type of suffering the presence of weeping and gnashing of teeth indicating a a form of suffering in judgment now there's many opponents of christianity who say that judgment is brutal and unjustified how could a god of love punish people and send people to hell a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth well it's because god is just and evil and sin requires punishment and deep down we all want evil punished You might've heard of Jimmy Savile. I'm not sure if you've heard of uh, the man, Jimmy Savile. He's not so well known here in Australia, but I spent some time growing up in the UK and at that time, Jimmy was hosting a TV, a children's TV show called Jim will fix it where Jim would fix it. So that the wishes of several viewers, usually children came true each week. So for example, a young doctor who fan asked for Jim to, uh, for him to appear in a doctor who episode. So Jim fixed it so that young Gareth Jenkins appeared in an episode in 1985. Now, Jimmy Savile was well-liked, raised a lot of money for charity, and was even knighted in 1990. And then he died in October 2011. Then a year after his death, it emerged that Savile had sexually abused over 450 people. Savile, in fact, had been sexually abusing children for some 60 years. 28 victims were children under 10, including boys as young as eight. Savile was actually described as a predatory sex offender. He caused much suffering and misery to scores of people. And now he's dead. So, do you see the problem? In the atheistic universe, there is no justice. Savile will never be punished. There's no justice for those he's wronged, no reparation to the hundreds of children he molested or abused. Savile lived a flamboyant, popular life. He made lots of money, lots of friends. He even got knighted and had sex with lots of children. And got away with it all. And that's why judgment is right, why judgment is good, why God judges, because there is then justice in the end. So that we know that then suffering inflicted by people like Jimmy Savile will end and he will face the righteous consequences for his actions. So then, judgment brings a fascinating paradox in some ways. Through judgment, God will end suffering. Yet through the same judgment the unrighteous will then suffer you learn more about suffering and judgment from another scene of final judgment in the gospel of matthew i mean this is actually my mum's favorite bible verse the parable of the sheep and the goats in matthew 25 which lachlan read before it's a mighty and a terrifying scene the son of man jesus the righteous judge sits on his throne and judges the nations before him and he divides the people into sheep and into goats, the sheep, his people, and the goats, those facing eternal punishment. So what do we make of this then? Well, it's interesting to note that those who follow Jesus, the sheep, are those who actually help relieve suffering. So you see the distinguishing marks which separate the sheep from the goats. It's their response, actually, interestingly, to suffering in the world. So in verse 35, it's the response to hunger, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. In verse 35 again it's the response to thirst for i was thirsty and you gave me something to drink then again it's the response to homelessness and exclusion i was a stranger and you invited me in in verse 36 it's a response to nakedness and cold i needed clothes and you clothed me in 36 it's the response to illness i was sick you looked after me then it's then again it's the persecution i was in prison and you came to visit me so there's six instances of suffering outlined here and the response commended by jesus the great judge. Is that of alleviating it? So the basis of judgment outlined here is that believers will relieve suffering in the world. Now notice that believers don't do this to earn salvation. they aren't caring for others with the intention of getting on God's good side. In fact, they aren't even aware that they're serving Jesus. In the questions they ask the Lord in verses 37 and 38, they appear genuinely surprised. They say, "Lord, when, we, when did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty, etc.? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you?" they don't say yes lord i did it because i knew you approve i did it to appease you i did it to earn your favor no it flows out of their character from who they are it flows out of being wheat which we looked at again a couple of weeks ago being one of god's people and so in this point god's people are are actually active in relieving suffering in the world but the key point of this passage is that there will be judgment Believers help relieve suffering and there is then hope to overcome futility. Now, after the death of my mum, I actually read through the whole gospel of Matthew. That's where these talks, the genesis of these talks began. And I was actually struck particularly by the words of Matthew 4, 15 to 16, which says, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned i remember reading those verses and feeling acutely the feeling of the the shadow of death i felt the darkness that death brings the darkness of hopelessness the darkness of meaninglessness the darkness of loneliness the darkness of moral failure and the darkness ultimately of sin Without God, the world is dark and meaningless. And interestingly, this is actually something that even atheist scientists acknowledge. Stephen Hawking, the great scientist, an interview a couple of years ago, said firmly that there is no heaven or afterlife. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Well-known Christian John Lennox responded by saying that, well, atheism is then a fairy story for those afraid of the light. Because a light has dawned. There is hope. The coming of Jesus, God with us, brings light to those living in the shadow of death. And the light comes most fully on that resurrection morning. Last week, we remembered the death of Jesus, but a dead God is not a particularly powerful God, yet Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. And after suffering, he conquered death to be raised to new life and now offers hope, hope of a new deathless world free from pain, tears or suffering. In the last chapter of the book of matthew matthew 28 when the women come to the tomb at dawn on a new day dawn was breaking light was emerging yet true light came when they heard the words from the angel do not be afraid i know that you are looking for jesus who was crucified he is not here he has risen and here is hope the greatest hope that our world has the hope of the resurrection indeed atheists hope for a better world but this hope is a bit vague to a starving african child or a child with cancer what hope do atheists offer for these poor children have hope child don't worry we're developing new food production techniques which will increase our food security in 50 years famines like this will be a thing of the past so how is that hope for a poor child who will soon die removing god removes any future personal hope removing god and your end of life ultimately futile I wonder how atheist chaplains would go in hospitals, going around comforting people that their lives, their suffering, and their imminent deaths are all ultimately meaningless. I wonder how many will grasp this and smile and then die gratefully that that last shred of hope has been extinguished as they prepare to fall into the abyss. Humans need hope to survive. Those who suffered the awful suffering of the Burma Railway in the Second World War did so because they had hope. And there is hope in the resurrection of Jesus. It's the hope that when I had when I stood beside the graveside of my mother that one day she'll be raised and, we'll, and we will meet again, like the sheep of the parable, who will receive eternal life. Suffering will end. And the Bible paints a picture of a wedding banquet full of not suffering and hardship, but a, a longer, a, no longer a life of denying self and of crosses, etc., but of joy, celebration, and life. The resurrection brings certain hope, hope of life, and the hope of the end of suffering forever, and the hope of the end of futility. A few years back, uh, the ABC TV show Q and A did a show in conjunction with the the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, where a question was posed. The panelists were asked, "Which so-called dangerous idea do you think each would have the greatest potential to change the world for the better, if it were implemented?" I think the most stunning and controversial answer was provided by English journalist, Peter Hitchens. He said in his deep English voice, he says, the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the son of God and rose from the dead. And that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. The resurrection of Jesus was the most dangerous idea, but why he explained. Because it alters the whole of human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope. And therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters all of us. If we reject it, it alters us all as well. It is incredibly dangerous and it is why so many people turn against it. So, did you get that? The resurrection is dangerous because it affects us it alters our behavior and our responsibilities it turns the universe from a meaningless chaos to a designed place with justice and hope it alters us and that's why many reject it and it also found profoundly altered peter hitchens who was a convinced atheist only to recognize that in jesus resurrection there was hope meaning truth and and judgment because hitchens was actually converted because he was concerned that there might be justice in the world and that he was thoroughly unjust, that he was concerned that he might be judged one day. So judgment brings justice. Judgment brings order, but judgment also brings hope. The judgment of God brings hope of a world without suffering, pain, or death. So these past five weeks, we've been reflecting on pain and suffering in our world, why it's there, who causes it, and what we can do about it. But the big hope of the Bible is that is the world of the resurrection, the most dangerous idea in the world, a hope of a new world, a new future, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. There will be no more suffering, no more evil, no more mothers dying in airports in Helsinki. Suffering is painful, suffering hurts. Sometimes there are reasons for our suffering, sometimes these reasons are obscure. We may not fully understand why there's evil and suffering in our world, but we aren't able to explain it all. But the hope of the gospel and the hope of the Christian message is that suffering will end. So Jesus versus suffering in the end, Jesus wins and we can be with him on the victorious side.
0: Rob, Uh, thank you for today and thank you as well for uh, sharing with us over these past five weeks. Uh, We are going to have some time for Q&A with Rob, so if you'd like to uh, use the Q&A function at the bottom of uh, the Zoom window, Or if you're joining us via the Facebook live stream, type in the comments and one of the City Bible Forum staff, uh, Janelle, will send me the questions uh, so we can engage uh, with Rob on them. We'll just give him a moment to catch his breath. Uh, A couple of things to note. Uh, We're actually at the end of this series and Bible Shots is going to be taking a break for a couple of weeks over the school holidays, Uh, but we will be back. We'll be back on the 22nd of July. Uh, So if you're not yet on our mailing list, you might like to send me an email. Uh, Bible shots at citybibleforum.org uh, and let me know you'd like to be on the mailing list to know when we kick off again and to make sure you've got the uh, webinar link uh, ready to go. Uh, well, Rob, we've got a couple of questions that have been coming through. Great. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, one to start with is a couple about uh, the nature of the sheep and the goats. Yes. Uh, so, uh, one was, um, you know, can a goat become a sheep? And I guess related, the response of the sheep and the goats seems exclusively one or the other. Mm. Sometimes I walk past homeless people. Sometimes I stop and help. Am I a sheep or a goat? Um, So yeah, a couple related there.
1: That's an interesting question. And and that probably bears some more reflection on what it means to be a sheep or a goat. I mean, I think that the passage is trying to make a distinct, draw a distinction between God's people and those who aren't his people. So the people, as I said, the people who are his are sheep. And they are typified by a certain pattern of behaviour. Um, and similarly, those who are uh, goats, they're typified by a certain type of behaviour. I think that you, we're also going to be drawn, uh, there comes back to a question of identity. And I think that there's a, a concern that sometimes people can flip from side to side. Am I a goat or am I a sheep? I'm a goat or a sheep. What am I today? That, I think misunderstands a key element of the Christian message of what it means to be one of God's people. Because I think once you do um, repent, believe the good news um, and become a child of God, then that's, that's your identity. That's who you become. That's not as though you then I have to keep doing that repenting every single day so that I have to kind of become God's child every day because uh, you're adopted into his kingdom, you become one of his children. And so I think that's um, and that, uh, that's, that's that uh, crucial question of identity between the two. And I think that, that sometimes, so I think that there are some christians perhaps who um are uncertain about where they sit and i oh i made a mistake today am i a goat etc i think that's the wrong question to think about i think we're looking at patterns here and so i think that it does mean yes sometimes if you walk past a homeless person you know you can think oh no am i undermining my my identity as a as a as a sheep of god so to speak i think i think you do have to consider the the pattern of your life. And if your pattern of your life is not that of relieving suffering or of caring, then I suppose if you are a Christian, you know, you claim to be a Christian believer, then you'd have to identify, think through how uh, penetrating, how deep does this actually, does this lead you in terms of how active you are as a, as a believer? But I think that, so if you never relieve suffering or never involved in serving others, then I think that you'd have to ask some questions about the depth of your commi- commitment to also understanding about what Jesus is and who he is but I think you kind of also not beat yourself up and recognize that there is a, you know, that there is a, a challenge in living uh, in this world. We do face a, you know, a, a war inside, so to speak, at times between the, the, sin, yeah, the Bible talks about the sinful nature versus the, the spirit, etc. There is a, a battle. But so I think it's just a question of patterns and how, how that uh, manifests itself longer term. And there's, there's, a, there's a, actually a lot to talk about there. Maybe it's a, a future it might be something you could think about in Bible shots going forward, Lachlan, to unpack some of those ideas a bit more, because I think that's a a really crucial question about what, what the, what does it mean to live as a, the the sheep of God? And how do I know that I am one of those? I think they're really important questions.
0: Great. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Another couple that are kind of in in a bit of a cluster, I guess, here. Yeah. Um, uh, So the idea that, um, you know, you gave the example of uh, Jimmy Savile and getting justice in the end, but there's a lot of good people who, in a christian world you are destined for punishment and uh yeah. basically to be in the same place as jimmy forever uh, how is that just um i guess the equivalent There's also the whole can you have good goats and bad sheep <laughs> uh, and i guess you know peter hitchens he wasn't jimmy savile but he you said he feared judgment uh yes he seemed to be a good person so uh, there's a little cluster of of questions uh for you to
1: wow there's a there's a lot there um i think that i used jimmy savile as, a, as an illustration because i think that until he died no one would have really known or thought that he was a monster i think that's the point he actually looked like he was a flamboyant well-loved character who was doing great things for children raised lots of money for charity etc but i think underneath you start to uncover that there was this cesspit here of behavior and actions and makes you realize that actually what looked nice on the outside was actually absolutely just dis- it's just disgusting peter hitchens again you have probably uh, you've begun to perhaps answer another way of answering that questions i mean he he was a uh, had a fascinating history as a he might have looked again might have looked a, a comfortable veneer on the top but it was only his own personal feelings in the inside that he actually realized actually i'm thoroughly unjust and i deserve judgment and he knew that um number of people I've known speak to I think if they ask do you feel like you deserve judgment there are many people who actually think yes I know I do I've done some very bad things in my life now so I think that again the question about how much good you've done etc um is a, is a challenging one because I think that um the the, the way, one of the easy way out the way I respond is often is that God is a god of justice and I think the question you've just got to identify then is what is ultimately just um, and And how we 've lived our lives, and I think that's I mean again this, this whole pandemic thing has perhaps revealed that whilst we have a veneer of respectability on the outside, like when you get people just fighting over toilet paper and so on, you realize that actually you don 't go very deep before you realize that there 's some serious problems in the human condition um, and, and similarly with Twitter, <laughs> people uh, I remember I was, just, I was just walking in the park, an appropriately socially distanced, an appropriate park that I could walk in recently and i just overheard someone saying oh there's some terrible people on social media and i kind of thought well they're just people like they're people like you and me and they're just but we think they're terrible but i think it's when you get we lose the social respectability we actually under, under, understand what the human heart is and i think it's actually it can be a very uh, awful thing so i think i'm hacking that a bit more so that that realize it doesn't quite deal with the the you know the fact that there are good goats so to speak there are people who look good i mean but I think that, that that point of the passage is that ultimately God is, he's just, and he's the one that will be judge, judge justly and judge fairly. And I think that if you can see that in the the character of God throughout the Bible, then I think that, that I have good reason to believe that he will judge fairly and justly. I think that's kind of what the Bible message is is saying. Yeah. I hope that's the beginning of an answer. I realize there's a lot more to say then I don't want to in any way uh, diminish the value of, uh, you know, good goats so to speak do and they do do lots of great things to alleviate suffering in the world etc but i think in the end that there's a i mentioned it a few weeks about that the line of good and evil runs right through the middle of every heart and so i think that to say that someone's good yeah there's also there's always we all have our own dark side so to speak i think which does render how that gets judged can be then problematic
0: Thanks, Rob. Now, we're just about uh, finished for today and for the series, but uh, maybe just one thing to finish on. Um, People don't come back from the dead, but you're convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead. Yes. Um, Now, we probably don't have time to go into a big explanation of why you think that that is a a credible position, but if someone wants to investigate a bit further, uh, what might be some good resources that they could check out?
1: Uh, There's plenty of good resources. There's some great works by some authors like um, Mike Lacona, and gary habermas have written some excellent works uh really michael conor in particular is an expert on the resurrection i know that um, john dixon australian has done some good work on that space as well um, and also there's a few maybe a not entirely shameless but certainly a plug there's a the, the podcast that uh, is a sister sh- show of uh, bible shots bigger questions there's a number of episodes there that do engage with the resurrection and some of the the how we can believe that it's credible today? We really un- uncover that with a variety of different guests at different points, um, as well. How is it wish fulfillment? You know, well, can we try? Uh, why are there differences between the accounts? Um, and you know, and particularly the presence of women at the early tomb is actually a good indication that this is not likely to be made up. If you were going to make up a story in the ancient world. You wouldn't invent women to go into the into the to, uh, jewish women in particular to go into the story because they're credible they were not the most credible witnesses um if the, um of the um regarded in the ancient world if you're going to invent a story you would probably put someone like peter being the first person to find them and that's exactly how the the creed in one corinthians 15 uh founds that so you know, there's plenty of resources out there plenty of stuff on the city bible forum website so go and check out there type in resurrection i'm sure that there'll be masses of really great material that you can um, unpack but and i'm I'm also if someone really wants to find out some more i've done a lot of thinking in this myself i'm very happy to provide some more more specific resources etc about various elements of the historical um, uh, uh, background evidence uh etc for not for the resurrection but also for the credibility of the records we found in the, in the gospels and also in one corinthians and sorry in other places in the new testament as well
0: thanks rob uh if you people do have further questions or they would actually like to engage a bit further uh, either with myself or rob the easiest way is just to email uh, me as the starting point bible shots at city and uh, same email address if you want to get on the mailing list uh, for within a couple of weeks time to let you know when we kick off again uh Until then, uh, Rob, thank you. Thank you for the last five weeks. Thanks for helping us think through this issue of Jesus versus suffering. Uh, You can catch Rob on the Bigger Questions podcast, which will be continuing throughout the year. Uh, And um, uh, and we'll be seeing you again in two weeks uh, when we start the book of ruth so uh, rob did mention uh, that it'd be good to think a little bit more about what it looks like to live as one of god's people and i think that's one of the things that we do see in the book of ruth is what does it look like to live faithfully as some of god's people what does it look like to be a sheep um, particularly in the context of a, of a really hard and difficult situation uh, uh that's what we're going to be looking at when we come back uh and i'll look forward to seeing you then uh, so until then thanks for coming and we'll see you in a couple of weeks